unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Hello and welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. What up, VJ? How are you? Good, good. It's almost Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Um, we have our featured guest, Susan Huang, who is the founder and host of the Bushwick Book Club, an international musical literary crossover event and podcast. She is a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumental multi-instrumentalist who has toured internationally, performing music and theater. Her duo with songwriter-producer Charlie Neeland is called uh, Lusterlit, and they refuse to play anything but songs about books. Her longtime collaboration with percussionist Marlon Cherry has evolved into including uh, socially distanced performances on her stoop in East Village that also live-streamed to Accordion Babe's Accordion um, Friday series. Susan plays accordions uh, because they are pretty and lighter than pianos, (laughs) barely. Mm -hmm. She plays drums because it's healthy for a girl to hit things. Uh, You can find out more at SusanHuangLaLaLa.com. Welcome, Susan. Hi. Am I doing this mic situation right? Am I supposed to be talking to the front or to the... the, Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's better. That's better. Yeah. Look at that. Good, good. All right. So welcome, Susan. So how are you doing? How are you doing today? Everything good? Yeah, it's so beautiful out. And, you know, this is my old neighborhood, I used to live on Hart Street at like Hart and Myrtle. And so it's like, it's like coming home and I just haven't been here in a while. And it's like, wow, this part of Brooklyn, you just see so much sky. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got these great pictures of VJ when I was walking up. You looked great. I'm going to show you later. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, people talk about LA skies and everything, you know, and that's cool. But I mean, come on, look at this. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Great. Great. No, it's great. Um, so now tell us a little bit about your musical background and how you got into the Bushwick Book Club. I started the Bushwick Book Club. Well, um, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I was just, um, I've been playing music for a while. I came to New York to join a rock band and I did not tell my mother. And <laughs> um, uh, it was called Murderizer. And uh, and so that that's what I was doing. And then, so that was my musical world mostly is like the world of, of, of uh, like, I guess we were, called stoner rock or doom rock or sometimes a little mathy we were a little mathy as well and um but then i also started bringing accordion into that rock band and then it opened me up to a whole other world of accordion players and i joined the main squeeze orchestra when it was just forming with a uh, walter core and he had a this shop in the east village called main squeeze main squeeze accordions and um and then that opened up my musical world and then it's like it just keeps evolving and at one point i was uh i was working at goodbye blue monday and the owner there uh, the creator and owner of goodbye blue monday one of the first uh um i don't know it's a, it was a very unusual venue i mean they've had venues there of course you know long time venues you know for decades and decades but um steve Trimboli started this this uh, cafe and bookstore and I started to work there and I asked him, you know, let's create, and he wanted events uh, to bring people out. And I'm like, well, could I have uh, a night where singer songwriters presented new songs inspired by a different book that they read and we call it a book club, even though it's not really a club. <laughs> um, and he said, and he said, yes. And so then yeah. that's how it started. Yeah. 
That's great. Yeah. And I think it must speak to your early experiences with writing as well as music. As, that yeah, really definitely. still do need that love. If you talk a little bit about that, like how some of your early experiences as a child yeah. growing up, what books did you read or what books were read to you? And, and how did you, how did music, musical love get instilled in you? You, um, you know, I was one of those kids who read all the time. So I kind of, when I think about it, my parents, we were immigrants. So my parents were working like freaking all the time. And uh, my dad had normal kind of daytime hours, but my mother sometimes had to work the night shift uh, as a pharmacist, you know, and, and, and day shifts. And I, you know, it would all, it would fluctuate. And um, we were at that time, what, what was known as latchkey kids. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when that used to be a big deal, yeah. remember? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I, when I think about it, I'm like, wow, I think I was actually raised by the library. I was raised yeah. by books, you know? Um, and my favorite genres growing up as a little, you know, little girl, I was so drawn to, um, um, fantasy. <laughs> so I liked all kinds of fantasy, sci-fi, and then, um, later porn. And then I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, um, so, and then musically, I'm like, I'm Korean. So, I mean, I sing. And my theory on Koreans is that we all sing. It's just a thing. You do it even if you can't do it very well. You just you just do it. It was it wasn't a question. It wasn't really a choice. It just we sang all the time. And I grew up watching old musicals on TV. So uh, I my first loves were like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and Judy Garland. And I was obsessed with like Shirley Temple movies when I was little. And I was so like influenced by these that um, I when I was a kid I just couldn't understand why men didn't wear hats anymore and why things weren't in black and white. So yeah. And hippies scared me because they were the antithesis of that, of that aesthetic, you know, it was like long hair and beards. And I'm like, oh! I was very frightened by hippies and I'm not so frightened anymore. I'm like so part hippie. a little bit about your, your first performance experience was a, uh, was a report on, uh, on Louis Armstrong. And I was wondering if you, you know, you remember anything from that or anything oh, yeah. about the kind of the life of Louis Armstrong that you could kind of share, uh, share with, with our listeners. Yeah. I read this, this kid's biography of Louis Armstrong and I believe I'd already, already experienced like his music and performances like through all the old movies that I saw. So I was familiar with him already. And, um, and like the kind of energy and joy that he brought, uh, well, whole range of feeling, of course, but there was just that kind of woo, like a freedom in, in what he was doing. Um, that was always connected to his emotionality as well. And like, there was like, a generousness in his spirit you know, and in his music, obviously. So I was totally drawn to that. And I remember, um, writing down on note cards the whole, th the whole book report and memorizing the whole thing, even though the teacher said we didn't have to memorize it. And I remember, you know, getting, and I was nervous and I remember presenting. And then I remember the, the principal, um, got, got online somehow, like he was speaking through the loudspeaker and so interrupted my book report. We had to wait for the principal to finish saying what he was saying. And, and a kid in front of me, Gus Chaconis, he was looking at me and he was just like, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, that was my first experience of like, Ooh, I got him. I've got him there in the palm of my hand. I felt that connection with, with, with the, with the audience, with the people, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that really, yeah, that, always uh that that was striking 
And I, I never forgot Wait, that. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. So Gus Chaconis. To, to listen to you more than the principal. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was I much it. more interesting than the principal. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was uh, exciting. It was thrilling. You could feel the energy, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. That's awesome. So so as Louis is to the, uh, I guess, trumpet, um, you, through the accordion, where, where did that kind of entrance happen? I know accordions to Weird Al Yankovic, uh, but, you know, you with Murderizer in the early band, uh, how did you get into kind of accordion playing? Well, I wanted to play accordion just Love because it. I, it was hard to find a piano all the time. You couldn't always find a piano. I always preferred a piano, but honestly, I did it by, you know, default. Um, uh, and so, I, I mean, I didn't grow up listening to accordion music. Oh, I guess, I mean, if I guess Lawrence Wilk counts you know um and you know i watched i watched that growing up and um yeah so i mean i I don't honestly i i don't even like the accordion that much i mean i don't i I like it when it's played really well honestly i am not one of those players i'm a pretty good rhythm player i you know rhythm i'm pretty rhythm oriented and i think i get by enough to accompany myself but like Oh my gosh, there were some women in the accordion orchestra who played amazing. Uh, one of them was a champion accordion player since childhood, and her name was Terry. I forgot her last name. Oh my God. It's just because I'm nervous. But yeah, Terry was her first name. And oh, she was, she could just play anything. One note on the accordion by her was, had art and feeling in it that I couldn't put in it, you know. Um, uh, but I still, you know, now playing it for, for years and years, it's um, it, it, I have this relationship with it, and I it I I I like how it yeah it, I have this relationship with it. I feel very close to it. It's like another extension of home for me. And when we would tour, we did a lot of touring with the Debutante Hour, and um, that started at a, as an accordion duo. That yeah anyway, and um, and sometimes traveling is uncomfortable, and you go to a new place, and then you go to a new place, and then you go to a new place. Sometimes that's uncomfortable, but what always you could count on was when you grabbed your accordion and played that, that was home. And you could always feel comfort there. That was your that was your familiar place, your comfort place. Yeah. And I really appreciated how your relationship with music and your and the emotionality and the connection the to your truth is more important. It's very important to like to bring out that real soul there. So it's not so much about like you know the stand. You know we we have this kind of internal thing. If you're not doing it to up to a certain standard, then you're not doing it right. right. And like it's important to like really connect and have a relationship with music. I think is what also in your pre-interview questions we were talking a little bit about. Um, you know the the importance of that relationship rather than like putting yourself under the un, unspeakable standards of like performance value. It, it, putting that aside and and really connecting. Yeah. 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 Um, and and perfection. Um, what, what is technically perfect isn't what is going to necessarily be the kind of moment that will really connect you with an mm. audience and mm. allow for that exchange to happen, mm. you know? So, yeah. and sometimes the mistake that you make opens you up to uh, a kind of vulnerability that allows the audience in. So that's another thing. So I so in a way, I don't like. Uh, I I welcome. I, I have to welcome the mistakes, and um, you know, and also I have no choice because I'm not. You know, perfection isn't really my forte. Mm. So, 
So uh, there's a great there's yeah. a great meme where the guy's playing the trumpet in the middle of the night, and uh-huh. then the the wife is answering the phone. She says the na- the dancer's neighbors. Oops. What is that, Scott? Scott, come back. He'll be right there. We'll be right there. Right we, had no, we had no dead air. That was not. Uh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. I hate um, dead air. Right. I'll just finish the thought. Just like the, you know, you're technically proficient, but you're lacking soul. So it's like it's very interesting how in the middle of the night they're they're focused in on the performance value of the and the irony of that and all this kind of thing. And and even in these moments, it's like we just have to flow with it and just kind of go with it. So and keeping and, that flow yeah, up, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, not not to say that people shouldn't know and you know how to play technically proficiently. Yeah, you know. I just don't want it without the soul. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and when you have it with the soul, it's like, oh, holy. Mm-hmm. Let me just see that. Um... We're getting him back. This is not yeah. dead air. We're not going to have any. No, no, it's okay. It's, it's okay. all alive. All alive yeah, air all alive right now yeah. here in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So also, um, the, the other thing about this kind of relates to is food and mm-hmm. how your love with food and, and being, a, you were talking a little bit about uh, the, the terms for foodie. Yeah, and with that, yeah, tell yeah. us a bit about kind of your relationship with, uh, and and how you know the, the the same kind of thing, the same kind of proficiency in cooking as opposed to just having that you know having that really satisfying experience of a meal. Right, yeah. right, all of that. Um, yeah, food. I my my joke is there in Korean. There's no word for foodie because it's just being Korean. It's just being alive. It's just being a human. It's just being Korean. Yeah. yeah so like foodie, when, when people started to use that word, I was kind <laughs> of against it. You know, I, I'm a little bit slow sometimes to catch on to the lingo. But uh, but uh, yeah, foodie, I was like, ah, what a dumb word. You know, I mean, who doesn't like food? And if, and if you don't, you're probably not friends, a friend of mine, you know. Um, but I understand there, there are those people. There who, he goes back on. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Hey. Go ahead. Um, there are those yeah, people. <laughs> That's okay. Um, uh, there are those people who forget to eat. I'm not one of those people. Um, I'm I'm usually thinking about what I'm going to eat. Uh, you know, planning it out, making sure I have a snack. And it's very rare that like I don't have something on me. Um, but uh, but yeah, food. Um, and 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 that's uh and there's a transfer of energy there and you can totally feel it when someone prepares you something and or and when it's mass produced and at these days I mean I know that the pandemic had everyone cooking for themselves but I I was doing that before anyway and I really prefer to have like food that I made for myself or that someone else prepared for me yeah. um, I'm a little bit spoiled that way my mom is an amazing cook and she always cooked our meals I mean, yeah. whether she was there to serve them or not. I mean, we also had all kinds of junk food, too. Don't get me wrong. When we came to this country, my parents experienced uh, what it was like not to have everything you wanted to eat. You know, they experienced a, a lack in that way. And so when we came to this country, you know, it was like, no, you get to eat whatever you want, <laughs> whatever. We, so we had sugary, you know, Captain Crunch cereal um uh, that Count Dracula cereal, whatever that was, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, Golden Grams, um, and we <laughs> also had, you know, kimchi that my mom made and fermented by burying in our backyard, you know, uh-huh. um, so like, yeah, it was definitely both fried chicken. Man, did we like 
yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and also at um, for Moy Rogers. I remember that's like you know really like strong childhood memories, <laughs> right there. Battle of the Fixins Bar at the Roy Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was it. Mm-hmm. It's the salad. My grandpa would just you know bring that home. Just the entire trough of all the pickles and the and the and the tomatoes. Um, I, I'm sorry, just popped out of the phone um, at in random. But that kind of tied into what we were talking a little bit about uh, perfectionism and, and things, you know, you know, rolling with the punches type deal. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm interested, though, of how that maybe connects to um, when, let's say, you're hired for something uh, or, you know, you're commissioned for a piece. Are you still able to kind of bring that level of, of, of freedom and, and kind of happy accident to a performance? Or do you feel a different type of pressure when maybe that you're uh, you know, you're you're hired to do something, yeah. um, or even when you're recording something, and you know, like mm-hmm. you know, it's going to exist in that form forever. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you balance those two out? Um, you do your best, you know. Uh, in right. terms of recording, it's fun. It's funny though because like the thing that you don't like the the, the thing that you think is a mistake sometimes becomes uh the solo in in that in that piece it's it's sometimes that right. that's actually the perfect thing and uh, several times i remember one of the first experiences i had of that was um when i was recording with debutant hour and franz nikolai was producing and i just sang uh like what was supposed to be just a, a guide vocal guide track like a scratch vocal and um of uh, a song on this one yeah, I think it was, um, it was, uh, Please Come Home. And, or, no, I think it was, who cares, right? Who, nobody cares. Uh-huh. It was, um, <laughs> it, it was one of the other ones. All right. Um, and, uh, and, and I was like, that was a scratch vocal, but no, he was like, no, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Because you weren't thinking about it. You know, and it was, it had this, uh, yeah, this quality where that you maybe wouldn't get if you were focusing intently on something. And, uh, and that happens all the time in recording now. It happens with me and Charlie when, when we're recording. And, and he loves yeah. that. We, we both love that where it's like, oh, that, that thing you didn't think you were gonna, that, the thing that you thought was wrong is actually, oh, no, that's, that creates the whole recording. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this kind of reminds me of is, uh, also connecting food and, and music. Again, is that um, my parents, I was taught or learned the idea that uh, when cooking, you know, that the thoughts you have are infused into uh-huh. the food. Like sattvic or rajasic were terms that yeah. meant like as you're cooking, if you're thinking like evil thoughts, then the bad stuff goes into the food or you're thinking pure thoughts. Yeah. So I feel like in music, too, is like your ability to connect with your heart is more important. Like that's really imprinted on the material you're producing rather than I mean, I feel you need a level of technical proficiency, but. You know, once you gain that, then it's like your ability to connect is the ability to produce the the real, the good stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah, I definitely feel that way about about food and music. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but it's funny. I mean, yeah, I I, th- I think about one of my favorite, uh, one of my good friends and favorite cooks, chefs. She's a chef. Uh, her name is Sung Yuni Lee, and she really abides by that. Um, by that, by that thought, that that what what you the intent in the food is really palpable, mm. and uh, like uh, along these lines, um, 
like it, but it makes me wonder because sometimes when, like, like one example that goes against that that thought is um, my friend Deb, her grand, she has two two grandmothers, one one Italian, one Hungarian. The Italian one was the nice one. Um, the, they were both amazing cooks. The Hungarian one was the mean one. I think that's the way how, way it goes. Maybe it's backwards, but the mean one was also an amazing cook. I'm like, wait a second, how could she be so mean but make such amazing food? I don't know. Maybe in her heart, she was, you know, she she was very loving. It just came out really um, harsh, <laughs> which is, you know, also also my mom to me because I'm her favorite. <laughs> so I get the most shit. That was the most disappointing. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Are yeah, you, you guys still there? All yeah, right. so this guy, okay. Yeah, com- completely here. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I was, I was. You were mentioning about mood and and food and whether a well prepared uh, meal can affect the one, the person that's consuming it, in, in as well as the person creating it. Whether you know, yeah, can it can it change somebody's mood if it's made with love? Can that love then translate to the actual person that's eating it, or if they're in a bad mood, they're in a bad mood type deal um and if that's a function of the preparation the uh, or how it's prepared or the present presentation rather or the ingredients yeah that's what i'm uh, yeah wondering about yeah i would say yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would say yes and yes <laughs> you know i feel like the the vibration of the person you know definitely goes into the food and um it can be a very clarifying thing um, an energizing thing, and whether it changes some, it's, whether it's enough to change someone's mood or not, I don't know. Probably depends on the situation and the mood, you know. But um, it can definitely be be nurturing in a in a different way. I, I imagine. Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. And sometimes, it, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because well, when I make I would, food for myself, sometimes I just do like uh-huh. I just you know put something together. And I'm just like okay, I'm I'm not going to be hungry if I eat this. But I know I notice like when I cook for other people, then I put more intent into mm. it. I'm careful about it. Right, I prepare right. it with more love because it's for them and I love them. So I want them to have a really good experience of this food. You know, for me, I'm just like oh whatever. <laughs> which is probably not good you know i should be a little bit more loving to myself i heard that i heard that's good for you (laughs) yeah and that it can yeah self-care is so important uh and being able to connect oneself and and the ways in which we we can provide even that we can can nourish ourselves and and give ourselves that need that satisfy the needs that we have you know so that's a, a good ability to have to be able to to self-soothe and self-nourish, you yes. know? Yeah. Uh, and the more that you that you have for yourself, the more you are able to, to give, support yeah. and give to yeah. others. So, like, that's, a, you know, that's like, duh. <laughs> yeah, you can't give what you don't have already, yeah. and you can produce a lot of that. But just by, you know, yeah, self, self-nourishing, self-soothing, and all this kind of thing. But that goes back to, like, we were discussing a little bit about, you know, in psychology, we talked a little bit about attachment styles mm-hmm. and how as children growing up devel- developmentally, whether or not the environment is providing us what we need and, and the ways in which we may develop four responses to the environmental stimuli, one being like secure attachment that we're getting what we need when we need it and therefore we're kind of accepting it and receiving it properly. But another attachment style might be that, and non judgmentally, that we're chasing after what we need all the time. That we're constantly chasing after 
we need more, we need more, we need more. And that's like the wave style or like the, what's called the anxious style is that we're kind of had some level of anxiety around that we need to chase after what we need. And then there's a third style called the island or the avoidance style where we're self-soothing or we're self-nourishing and we kind of push away people or we kind of need to be alone time a lot. We need a lot mm-hmm. of alone time, a lot of, you know, negative space in our, in our life. And then finally the, the mixed style, disorganized style where we have, we have to, the, our environment provokes in us multiple ways of connecting. Mm-hmm. So thinking about developmentally, it's a very vulnerable place to be, to be like thinking about how am I getting what I need either now or as a child and, and, and how do I relate with people in regards to, um, you know, like how, how, how does, how does that loving, how does that love come about? How does that love, you know, how, how do I chase after that love or, or how do I mm-hmm. find that love for myself? Yeah. 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 yeah there are like people get what they need or they're, they are fed by, you know, mm. to use food again, but like they're yeah. fed by different situations. And, yeah. um, and yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I see that, um, the way I would, uh, connect to that is in terms of extroversion and introversion. Mm. And I know that I, I'm, you know, and I have both, I have both, both sides, but, um, but that means that, you know, the introverted side like needs time alone and, and is maybe tapped out. Um, by, by social, uh, connection, social, yeah, social, social interaction. Um, and I, you know, I definitely feel that if I don't have enough time by myself, it's, it's not good for me. It's not good for people around me. And, um, and also when I'm writing, if I'm writing a song, if I'm, if I'm writing anything, if I'm creating something, usually it's, it's, it, you know, it's solitarily, it's by myself. And you, and you need that um, time to uh, and space to let your mind be free um, and right. to and to receive you know to, and to listen for something mm-hmm. and you know and that's where you know a room of one's own comes in yeah and right back wow. to Virginia Woolf ah! yeah <laughs> amazing yeah tying it in of where where your uh, yeah your space and I, I'd like to hear a little bit more of, of what that that space is for you it's solitary but what other kind of Stimuli or lack thereof are there in a room when you are creating well, that you that you like to be around? Well, I mean, it's that and, it's and that's I, it's yeah. that space that's. Um, I mean, it, you could call it mystery as well. You're listening mm-hmm. for something. Mm-hmm. I, every time I write a song, I don't really know how it happens, um, but you but you just feel it when it does happen, and you're mm-hmm. just like, okay, that's the song. Um, every time I do it, it's it's like I don't know if I can. I'm like, how do you do this again? Um, and yeah, and 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 it and it it's it's different every time. Um, I I I often start with words because because I'm really word oriented, but I don't always. And I like it when it happens, you know, both ways, either way, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like when you're performing with people as well, you have to really accept and accepting all the impulses and and pulses around of the performers of the co-performers yeah. and really be, be open very, yeah, very open and accepting and present. Yeah. 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 And, and that's like the, that's the like number one of being a good musician. I feel mm. like is being, um, is the, of being musical is, is being sensitive to, uh, to, to what's happening. Yeah. To that moment and right. knowing how you can contribute and add to it. And, um, and that right. goes with the power of receptivity you know, receiving, being sensitive is is actually it's a strength, it's a power. 
Um, and and that that means like that you're more present in terms of what you're creating in the moment with the, your other fellow artists. It also means you're sensitive and connected to what the audience is feeling and communicating to you and with you. Um, and that and that's huge. I feel like one of my favorite performers and an old old friend of mine, Rachel Feinstein. She's this amazing comedian, right? But I've known her since she was. Uh, 15 and I was 19 and we shared a mutual ex-boyfriend. I mean, she was going out with that boyfriend, but he was a past boyfriend of mine. And technically, yes, he was statutory raping her, but, um, but nonetheless, he brought us together. And, uh, and, and, and I mean, it was, uh, a huge, that was so influential, um, for me, not just because our, we had this amazing connection and friendship that still is today, but also her father is, uh, a blues musician. He's a, Civil rights lawyer, civil rights lawyer, and and blues musician who know who is all um, plays by ear, and he he was my first blues piano teacher, or I guess my only one. He was my only blues piano teacher, <laughs> and he taught me like one four five, and that just blew my mind. It, you know, just is incredible. So so there's that, but but Rachel, she's one of the best performers I know because of that sensitivity and that receptivity like not only does that receptivity allow her to um to do the best impressions because she'll notice things about that person that they don't know you know what i mean like when she when she does an impression of me uh she uh, she 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 caught on to the way I, i i hold my hands when i'm standing and i had no idea like no one would think about that you know but like i certainly wouldn't but she pointed that out i'm just like oh my god i do do that um <laughs> so it makes for these incredible characters that she creates but it also in in performance it allows her to connect with the audience and to and to really be real in front of them um and and, and to you know create that amazing huge exchange moment that we all go to live performance for and I've seen her like hold small rooms, right? I mean, she would hold when I was in college and she would, you know, come over and she would, she would hold the whole porch, right? You know, everybody on the porch would be, you know, just dying with laughter. And then, um, and, and, and now it's like I, I've seen her hold like Madison Square Garden, you know, like an amazing audience of, of that size. I'm like, what? And, and she's doing the same thing. She's being, she's being receptive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes five thousand is, is easy, not easier, but more comfortable than five than Can five you? audience members. Uh, I've, I've found. And then, you're a performer you too. Know, like, yeah. Yeah. You both uh, are. Yes. yes. Yeah. And what yeah, more, Scott? He does it really? like professionally. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is that so, what you're doing uh, where you are? You're in Florida. Uh, not not right now. In but uh, next week. What uh, What are you doing next poetry. week? And often with a collaborate with with you know collaborating and, and stuff like that with uh, I mean with a trio, um, and I'd love to do some stuff with the the Bushwick uh, book club coming up. Oh, cool! For sure. Yeah, I, I remember I was at the last one and uh, uh, the first one back I was at I think, and then you did um, what was it? The based on the Epiphany Journal, I think. it yeah, was? Yeah, that was so fun. And then post the queens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, post queens. You did a call response with the audience. Yeah, I was really taken by it. Where you had not only it was different people, different sides of the audience doing things simultaneously, uh-huh. and you're kind of like conducting up there. I saw. Um, uh-huh. No, I, I thought that that was great. Uh, it brings to mind though. Do you, do you have a belief of like there are good audiences and bad audiences, or you know what what if there is is if there's a, a, a flat audience per se? Is it the performer's job to to bring that out of them, or or you know do you meet them where they're at and, and kind of alter so much your your performance um, 
to, to fit that. Because, you know, I mean, you, know, you might have been, certain circumstances aren't ideal for yeah. performance. Uh, if there's, you know, like a blender going on in the background. Right. And, and or someone um, giving a tattoo but... to somebody. We, <laughs> we've had that at Bushwick Book Club shows. Oh, yeah, tattoo artist, you know, doing a tattoo in the middle of a show. Oh, God. It's wow. very, it's really, it's really wow. novel, you know, um, and I like it very much, but it is really noisy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, so it's like, you know, you, you, receptivity is power, uh, and but but you you are when you are on stage, there is only a certain amount that you can give to the audience in certain circumstances. I feel like if they're trying to be the one up there, you know, you want to take it. I guess. Away oh, I don't know. Them. I mean, every situation is different, and you just kind of do right. what you can. I've I've walked into situations where I, I, like I look at the audience and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm gonna do. And like, you can just uh, tell like they need to be fucking shaken up. And so you go there and you're just like, they're yeah. going to think this is actually very weird and it's going, they're going to like it. And you go up there and you do it yeah. and you're just like, boom. Um, and it changes the whole room. And that's cool, but it doesn't always happen, but you try, you know, and like, yeah. uh, there was a, there was a night, um, I was in a play, uh, over the summer. It was a Yara Arts production and I joined in at the last minute. They needed someone to play this character and it was kind of a bit part, but kind of an important bit part. And, uh, it was being presented outside at, uh, what is it? Plaza Cultural, the, um, that park, that garden on Avenue C and Ninth Street. And, Doing things outside, especially unamplified, it's kind of challenging for me, you know? It's like, because like you kind of feel like you, you know, you're just kind of uh, like yelling into a void, it feels like often. It's kind of harder harder to connect with the audience. And I remember one night where it's like, nobody was laughing. We were in, I was like, I can't believe we're not fucking getting any laughs. And I, I just, uh, you know, so I, so I, I played it up. I played harder. And I played harder, you know, I played bigger. I did, you know, I tried this thing. I, I, I did things that I said I wasn't going to do to the, di- you know, I, I agreed with the director. We weren't going to do th- something, you know, in this manner. And th- that was a kind of, you know, it's, she thought it was too big, you know, and, and kind of obvious yeah. or something. And, uh, you know, I looked with, looked at my fellow actor and we're just like, yeah, we're going to do it. And so we did. And I actually ended up twisting my hip a little bit, but you know, um, it, uh, it's okay. And, and it didn't work. And so sometimes you try stuff and it just won't yeah, work. I'm glad you tried. Yeah. yeah. And, and also sometimes you actually don't know if it's not working because they right, actually right. may be feeling something, you know, uh, and you're interpreting True. it as not feeling anything. Mm-hmm. And they go away yeah. and they're, you know, and a- another um, uh, friend of mine who is like this uh, amazingly talented actor and, you know, longtime performer, um, her name is Shigeko uh, Suga, Shigeko Suga, and... And she um, says that, like, yeah, the audience just takes what you give them. That's it. So just, you know, don't worry about it. The audience will take what you give them. Right, know. right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you, you have some audiences that may, may laugh at inappropriate times, you know, laugh during a serious moment or, or, or you mm-hmm. know, as a defense mechanism. But, but you you got to embrace Sometimes I would love that's them feeling it. You know, I perform for youth a lot too, and you know, it's a different vibe too. And how how a different crowd might be taking in a, a different moment at, at a different at a different time. Yeah, and also I think it's important to um, always stay within what you're doing as well, and be as true to that as you can. Even uh, because sometimes if they're not reacting in a way that you want them to, that can throw you. 
and uh and and and, um and maybe if you if you remember that like okay they're receiving this in whatever way they're receiving this um Mm. it'll allow you to stay connected to yourself and then once you do that then you are able to actually you know be connected with the audience more deeply Mm. the more the more centered and stable you are in yourself right um so so can you tell us a little bit about this this room of one's own rap that you did uh, i know yeah that's funny Uh, yeah, I I don't remember the actual rap except, uh-huh. um, yeah, there was. I want to explain. It, it, there was a class I was taking on Virginia Woolf, and after a few classes, I understood that I could not stand that class. It, yeah. I didn't like the discussion around it. It was so serious, and everybody seemed like so precious about what they were saying, and they seemed to like you know to think it was so important. And I just it was just like big snooze fest for me, and I just I just refused to go. And then, of course. Like at the end, there's this, you know, final paper you have to write. And I'm just like, oh shit, I don't, I have nothing. And so I wrote this rap song and I presented that as my final project. And, um, everybody, well, yeah, just like they were, they loved it and they, and I got an A. But like the way I made it was at the radio station, I just took, like uh, sections of my favorite like tribe called quest songs and stuff and like, <laughs> and, like looped looped them um and like Del the Funky Homo sapien or whatever mm-hmm. and like oh, yeah. and I would, I took sections and they taught us at the radio station how to splice tape and mm-hmm. so I, I did that I made my own little you know cassette tape of like oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. um and I just you know pressed play and then rapped over that yeah that was funny but and so that was my first song in sp- in response to a book. Yeah, and that's what I realized. Right, and I'm like, whoa! Right. I didn't know then that, like, later, that's kind of like my that's my mo, and and because Bushwick Book Club is not just something I um, organize and curate. I always participate as an artist too. So I always I always want to show up with something new. It makes me more excited for the show. It's very exciting for a show if you have something you've never shown to anyone before, and that's part of the excitement. That's part of the appeal, um, and and. And because you're sharing something new, it does create an extra vulnerability, which also that vulnerability also allows like for the audience to connect deeper, I feel like. So like it, it works on a lot of levels, Bushwick Book Club. And then afterwards you have all these like, you know, songs that you get to keep sharing and that get and that get to keep evolving. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And uh, just want to remind us, this is the Truth to Power Show and Radio for Brooklyn. We're here with co-host Scott Raven and special guest Susan Huang. Um, so also we were talking a little bit about Virginia Woolf and, uh, Scott and I were feeling that uh, we mentioned the show before that we both met during the product, during a production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> and it's interesting, like, um, when you think about the idea of, you know, I don't know what your take on being afraid of Virginia Woolf is or what that, um, implies, you know, the, the whole theme of the show, well, theme of the show is being like, seems to be like about, I don't know, are you familiar with the, the play? I've seen Robbie? it. You've seen it? Yeah. yeah and then, like, I saw the movie. So the movie. Okay. Yeah. Right? It's not as apparent. With- in the okay. movie, I think it's a little apparent. I guess it's a little there, but Elizabeth, yeah, Taylor. Elizabeth oh, Taylor yeah, and Richard Burton. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's been a while now. It makes yeah. me want to see it again. Yeah, no, it's definitely the theme. I think comes out a little bit more in performance. I think it depends on the production to be able to mm. enunciate out that you know fear of uh, self or the fear of you know kind of that's my interpretation. Oh. This fear of what's coming out of you, what's like that fear that not con- lack of confidence in in and and what's coming out of you. And the play kind of exhibits like the dual role of like some people being confident and, and the sphere it brings up and the emotion, the emotional depth that it brings up inside of that 
getting into those really dark and deep places, mm-hmm. you know, that inside of oneself. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, talking a little bit more about Virginia Woolf's writing, you mentioned Orlando as well yeah. as being a, a book <laughs> or a theme. Tell us a little bit about your connection with that. I, I know very little about it, just that basically has gender um, fluidity as a theme, but you can tell us a little bit. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, gender fluidity and, you know, time and space fluidity. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tilda Swinton was just amazing in the movie. And I was just really struck by by the beauty of the story and, and the beauty of the movie. And, you know, I was tripping when I saw it, so that <laughs> might have had something to do with it, but it was yeah. really, it was, yeah, it was really something. And I need to see that one again, too. Yeah. Also, uh, it's interesting, like, we think about, um, we get down to, like, our, our typology and the types of people we are. Uh, one thing that was interesting in, in one of your comments is about, like, connecting with, um, you know, the right brain, left brain mentality, uh-huh. you know, like, the the idea of, you know, when you were in school, you mentioned a little bit about like chemistry and how, and the idea of like, you know, like people pushing always like you have to be great at right brain stuff and your, and your ability to kind of lean into, mm-hmm. um, yourself and, and being accepting yourself. I think you mentioned a story about uh, a student or oh, getting an A in tap dancing and having yeah. a student be connected with over chemistry. Yeah. yeah tell us about I that thought, story. I thought that yeah. I was going to be a doctor or something because yeah. I grew up thinking that's was like kind of the height of what you could be because my father always wanted to be a doctor and like honestly Koreans are sort of like Jews in a lot of ways and one of the one of the ways is that we're you know our parents both always say yeah a doctor or a lawyer you know and also play the violin or the piano you know Um, so when I wanted to play saxophone my mom's like what Um, and I and I still don't play saxophone and I I blame it on her Um, uh, but uh, uh, I forgot what I was saying what was I saying? Talking about right brain, left brain. Oh, yeah, right yeah. brain, left brain. Yeah. yeah. So when I, went, when I got into college, I thought I was going to, yeah, be a doctor. And, and I almost failed chemistry. And the only A I got was in tap dancing. And so I thought, this is a sign. And I'm going to change my major to humanities, which I've always been good at, duh. Uh, so, <laughs> so I became an English major instead. Concentration in creative writing, minor in theater. Um and, and and yeah, and it's like, and, and that was one of the first examples of, wow, uh, what is a limitation? You know, um, yeah, I couldn't, maybe I couldn't hack it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't hack chemistry, but, but uh, it allowed me to move in the direction of, of what I truly do want to do, which is, which is uh, the arts. And um, so... So it makes you think twice about what's a limitation, what's not, what's freedom, what's not. Um, mm. And I mean, in terms of what's freedom and what's not, uh, I always go back to Bushwick Book Club because mm. Bushwick Book Club provides parameters, which people uh, normally assume as not freedom. Mm. Um, you have the parameter of the, of the deadline and the source material. Um, and, but, in, but, with, but sometimes uh, it's, it's, it kind of um, it blows my mind. Because it's like uh, those parameters allow for a different kind of freedom, just for more freedom. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. It taps into some deeper part of you that you, you wouldn't be able to access. If you're, we, we like to say superficial sometimes, and sometimes the restriction accesses those, like putting a restriction access to go deeper. Or, or it than, makes yeah. you uh, be creative in a way that you yeah. didn't think maybe was possible mm. or hadn't thought of before. And... Um, um, and it frees you from from limitations that you would might normally give yourself 
in, in a different situation. It frees yourself from the terror of uh, of of the blank page in a way, or with the terror of open endedness, <laughs> mm. um, uh, because you have these parameters, and now you know, like uh, you have a direction in which to go, so you don't have to make that decision. Where do I go? You know, uh, it, it's already been decided. There is a deadline. You will show up with something. So there's that. You know, um, and and if and it make and it make it makes you like uh, it makes you focus um, to present something. Mm. Right. Yeah, I find those tremendous. It's free. Whether it's literary constraints or a form of poetry, and right. pour all your kind of creativity into it. Uh-huh. And I would I even compare that though to you know getting back to kind of math or chemistry. I mean, I'd imagine though that 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 uh, those areas might have played a part connecting then through song construction and kind of um, I know like I like to think of things as like a periodic table of elements, but mm-hmm. you're putting the arts in place of the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and just you know, putting whatever yeah into each of those boxes, yeah, yeah. You're I mean, my love of science, as much yeah. creativity, yeah. It, like, it hasn't done anything to my love of science, you know. Failing, almost failing chemistry, um, yeah, right, yeah. It, it, it's, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm thinking too many things at the same time. I can't articulate very well. I apologize. Uh. Now I know you wanted to play a song. You told me. So do you want me to pull up something from Spotify? What was the? Sure. Yeah, tell me the what to search for. We can search for Lusterlit. Lusterlit. Uh huh. And okay, so you actually, can... yeah, give us a little little intro to the to the song that we're about to hear. You can play. Um, oh, you, you, you can ask... play the sec- uh, list of equipment. That's a song. That's the second song in. Our EP called List of Equipment. Oh, here it is. Yeah, List of Equipment, Luster Lit. Okay. Yeah, this is inspired okay. by, um, what is it, um, the List of Equipment section in uh, Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Oh, nice. I see that. Here's an example of something giving a restriction. You're able yeah. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Cool. Is this right? Here's what you need A mortar and vessel To crush up the seeds Of optimism Into a flower To dust everything That you devour Readjusting our standards Goes hand in hand with Looking on the bright side And remembering We're all gonna die A wire whip For what it's worth Turns a heavy cream Into a fluffy mouth A large balloon whip To froth and to mix With self-forgiveness If you can Walking corpses Here's what you need Here's what you need 
Yeah, I'm curious about your experience listening to it. Uh, listening, wow. Yeah. I, of course, like the first thing I think is like, why did I sing it like that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I would not pronounce those words that way if I were singing some of those things again. Um, uh, but but I, I I forgot about the piano parts, and I'm like, oh, that sounds good actually. And yeah. then all the the backing stuff um, that that Charlie did his vocals. They sound, I'm like, oh, Charlie sounds good. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when Charlie added that guitar. And that was that. Yeah, that was fun. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad he added that guitar. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Ah, I like it. I like the song. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it as well. As do we. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. The, the changes of uh, yeah pacing throughout too. I mean, that's, that was that's great. Um, now, just the way you were breaking it down there, though, does does every time you do a song, you feel take on a different? It's it's all different or. You try to recreate that when you would do it again in that exact manner. Oh no, I feel like it's it's usually different, you know. And you have your preferences right. in terms of like your style and how you um, how you relate to to what you're doing and what you want to express, you know. And sometimes mm-hmm. that'll change just like you know according to your mood or according to how you're what you're feeling, you know, from the audience and. Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it, that, that'll all inform, you know, each like individual live performance. And then it's hard. It's a little bit difficult when you're doing something in the studio and you're just like, Ugh, which one, which one's the one? Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's like, it's not my funnest thing, but but I do enjoy other parts of recording. And that has also evolved because I remember when I first started recording with Murderizer, I could not get through a recording session without like at least half a bottle of Jim Beam. I just couldn't mm-hmm. do it. Um, the, ah, it was yeah. so like nerve wracking and, and intimidating, and uh, and now it's like I can I can do it without a whole bottle of Jim Beam. I can do it with just maybe three shots. No, I can do it like completely sober. <laughs> you know, I can. Right. Yeah. And I'm well, like, wow, look yeah. at that. Uh, so I sang that completely sober. Is, 
Right. Is some of your now, I guess, yeah, pre-show or pre-recording rituals that will kind of get you into a zone? What, what do what do you try to to do mindfulness-wise or, or something right right before it's going probably, on? Sometimes, uh, right before I go on, um, I I I like to do physical movement things, and um, mm-hmm. this this I kind of got into through like the theater experience. But I'm not really um, I'm not really like a an act actor like a, i'm not a trained actor or anything you know not at all um and uh and so like i you know that world is still in a way foreign to me but i i came to really enjoy like the different kind of theater warm-up exercises that they would do and they're all like so like it like kind of ridiculous they make you do really silly things you know like 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 <laughs> they make you do this thing yeah, with your lips like you know and like and you're doing all kinds of crazy things with your face and you're like ah, and you make you know and you make your face really small and you make it really big and yeah. then you ah, and but like all of that kind of just helps for any kind of like nervous energy to kind of go out and it also kind of helps to activate your whole body and I was thinking about that before we started this conversation because because I was thinking why didn't I do some little warm up things you know with with VJ before we yeah. while we were waiting instead of just like you know sitting and 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 feeling anxious you know yeah um, so that's the kind of stuff that I like to do before performing. And then I should probably should do that more when I'm recording too. And sometimes it just takes me, um, a, 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 a f- several repetitions before I'll get into it. And then, but, Char- you know, Charlie, I work a lot with Charlie and he knows that. And so he just lets me do things like in a loop for a while. And then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm there and I know what I want, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And sometimes like when I am recording, you try different things, um, to see what it, what, what, what they evoke. And sometimes I'll visualize things like I'm, visual, I'm visualizing singing to a particular person or a particular kind of audience or, 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 or visualize yourself, um, or imagine yourself being a particular character singing this, you know, that kind of thing in a, in a particular room. Da, da, da. That's very accurate right. too. Yeah. Uh, just so we don't have time, I would do a couple of quick announcements, uh, before we end and then we can continue. We have a few more minutes, but I just want to do a couple of quick, uh, Throughouts to the people listening. Uh, you're listening to Radio for Brooklyn, independent listener supported media. Um, you know, Radio for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So you can feel empowered to help us out, help, help continue this experience. Uh, if it's fruitful for you, then every dollar helps us to continue to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support us with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofbooking.org/donate. If you're an Amazon shopper, uh, please consider donating in a way that costs you nothing. As you're doing your shopping, just go to radiofbooking.com/amazon and register Radio for Brooklyn as your Amazon small charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase will benefits Radio for Brooklyn. Um, if you're listening to the show while in front of your computer, free yourself up by um, downloading our free mobile apps for iPhone or Android. Develop at the App Store for iPhone with the Google Play Store for Android. Uh, and finally, uh, please support, please consider um, getting email blasts for our monthly newsletter at um, radiofilm.org slash newsletter. <laughs> so I know you guys are flooded with emails, but you can find out a little bit more about uh, new programming, upcoming RFP events. Get blasted. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we want you, we want you to be part of the community. So go ahead. Get blasted uh, yeah. with community. <laughs> good, good. So as we end, I want to end with... Um, uh, perhaps you can end with a note with uh, uh, truth to power and what that means to you and, and what does it mean to, to embody truth to power. You've been talking a little bit about that in the 
the pre-interview and stuff like that and and what does it mean what do these phrases mean to you and how do you embody those kind of tying it all together with how you yeah. embody this truth in, in your uh and feel that empowerment it's a little it means chicken or the egg basically <laughs> that that politics creates or it yeah politics informs our personal experience and our personal experience informs politics yeah yeah Poli- i think it was community like yeah. more than politics like more of it less yeah. about fair as a state but rather about how we relate with each other, political being. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's interesting. I, I like that idea too. Yeah. Community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we need it. We're human beings. You know, we need each other as much as you might be the kind of person who is like the non attached attacher or whatever you call it. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> we still, I mean, totally need yeah. each other. We don't exist in vacuums. Yeah. As, as isolated as one might feel at times, you know. Um, but yeah, we exist for each other. Politics is not uh, just a course that you uh, fail to attend in college. <laughs> it's like, it's real. It's your everyday life. Um, and it, it requires, what it requires is you. What it requires is um, you living your life as unapologetically, as unabashedly as possible. Um, and as, as you feel and being as true, as true to yourself as, as you, as you can. Um, and that that's all that's all important because that's what's going to you know inform inform uh, inform the community around you <clears throat> and hopefully to be as uh, inclusive as we can yeah thank you thank you and last last plug for um, any shows coming up or any like your your uh, upcoming events sure. Bush club yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of living unapologetically and, and unabashedly. Right our first, uh, our last show of 2021 features work from Dame Darcy, who is a brilliant artist, creator on so many different levels at the same time. She's an author. She is uh, a visual artist. She's a cartoonist. She plays the banjo. She sings. She is a mermaid and a pirate and a witch. Uh, she, yeah. And, and, uh, she's full on and she will be there for the show. On December fifteenth, that we're having at Ukrainian National Home on Second Avenue, which is just one of my favorite places. And if you haven't eaten there, you should. And you should on December fifteenth. Doors are at seven. Uh, the show is at seven thirty. You're going to have um, not just Dame Darcy, but you're going to have all of these different singer songwriters, artists, performers, hopefully dancers. I'm hoping Stephanie Larrier will perform with us and uh, Troy if she can. And um, um, uh, but we have uh, yeah, so many different singer songwriters. Oh, we have uh, Risa Micken- Mickenberg. Who's going to be joining us for the first time? And we have um, Elia Bisker and Jeff Morris, who perform as Charming Disaster. They will be there for the show. We have Henry Tenney. We've got um, Charlie Nealand, of course, and me. We've got a lot of people, and probably you're out of time. Yeah. Um, and, and I, 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 yeah. Well, you got me started, VJ. Yeah. And now look, I can't shut off. <laughs> oh, thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. To the buzzer. We got a minute. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, Thirty no, seconds. Check out that Bushwick Book Club. Community within a community within a yeah. community. Yeah, totes. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. All right, guys. So we'll see you next week. Uh, we're, we're still broadcasting next week, even though it's Thanksgiving weekend. But, do it. Uh, yeah, you we're going to do it. Because we're going up to 200 on December 12th. Two, so uh, thank you. Three, thank three, you so two, much, guys. Power. Yeah, 200. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's right, motherfucker. Yell okay. our way out. Yeah, not, not, I'm just saying random words until you fade down. <laughs> <laughs>